When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Ryan Archidak. Now shout out to the Bulls HQ podcast. All the way from Australia. We represent and thanks for all the support. Fans, welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the show, one where we attempt to wrap up yet another weird, long, frustrating, and always dramatic Bulls season. Uh, four years post the Jimmy Butler trade, four years without a playoff appearance, or in this season's case, not even a playing appearance. Still, though, there's some signs of optimism, or at least I'm trying to be optimistic now that the season is done. Um, Maybe we have to really go searching for those positives, but I think they do exist. And that's why on this show, as we try to make sense of this Bulls season, I'm joined by a man who has no problem finding the silver lining, no matter how absurd and unlikely they truly may be. Uh, per his Twitter bio, in his own words, he is a Bulls historian and prophet. Something that I think we all, well, I think we can all agree is very highly debatable or questionable. He's also occasionally heard on ESPN, ESPN 1000, raving and ranting to Waddle and Sylvie, who for some reason continue to take his calls. He also can always be heard on the Big Red Bus and Chicago Bulls Eye podcast. The relevant government authorities and crime investigation units refer to this man by his given name, Frederick Pfeiffer. But to us, He's the most frequent guest on Bulls HQ and the leader of the Sea Red Army. He is Sea Red Fred, and he joins me now. Frederick, how are you, sir? Mark, living the dream, my friend. Living the dream, my friend of years, friend of tears. I got to tell you, I am so excited about your upcoming child enter- entering the world. Frederick Denzel is going to be doing a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful things for humanity. I cannot wait. No, I, I'm, I'm really excited for you, brother. You and your wife. Congratulations. I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, when, when, when do you think the day is going to come? What's the date going to be? Your prediction? Well, firstly, like I, like I said to you, I think in DMs and as well as prior to this show, his name will definitely not be Frederick Denzel. <laughs> uh, so, so that's definitely not happening. I mean, if, if my name, my child, you know, Frederick Danzel, like he'll probably turn out to be the Antichrist. Let's be, let's be honest. So that's not happening. But, um, he was meant to be here last Thursday. That was the due date. But, um, we're recording this on a Tuesday, my time. Uh, so he's, he's, he's going long, I guess. So, uh, we'll see when he comes. But, uh, thankfully he's come after this bull season. Then he has to, he has, that's the positive here, I guess, of this bull season. The, the season's wrapped up. Don't have to think about it anymore. 
he didn't get to witness another losing season. So hopefully when he does arrive from now on, it will only be good, good Bulls things that he has to experience. At least that's what I'm hoping for. Well, I can tell you right now, if you name him Frederick Denzel, he's going to be able to spin a yarn. He's going to be able to rap, play guitar, <laughs> shoot, dribble, uh, box out. All the things you need in life, uh, he, he's going to have a uh, down pat. But regardless, I'm sure whatever name you pick is going to be fine. I'm glad though I'm talking to you today because I'm really getting PO'd. I don't know about you, Mark. I've, <laughs> I've, I've pretty much had it with the negativity surrounding my beloved bull. And I, I went on Waddle and Sylvie today, believe it or not. They took my call. Because, you know, Waddle was uh, uh, Sylvie again, ripping on the bulls, praising the Knicks. I got tired of it. I got some stats for you. Ready for this? Yeah, go. Two players played over 2,500 minutes in the NBA this year. Can you name them? Uh, I'm assuming they are two Knicks players. Is, is that correct? That's, that's correct. And wow. it's not just any Nick. Can you name the two? Julius Randle and uh, RJ Barrett would be my guess. Yes, and by uh, wise minds would all say those are probably their two best players. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, yes. Go on. So over 2,500 minutes for those two. How many do you think Zach Levine played? I don't know. He missed 11 games. I don't know. 2,000. Multiply. Okay, just over 2,000. Just over 2,000. So, you know, 20% less. How many did Vucevic play for us? He's our second best player. How many did he play? On the season? I don't know. Probably something similar to Zach. Maybe a little bit more. Why, are you kidding me? He came here in March, late March. No, but if on the season, how much minutes. did he play? Well, I, I, it doesn't matter. Who cares what he did for Orlando? For us, he only <laughs> played at the end of well, March. It matters you, to his body. It matters to his body. His body just doesn't automatically It doesn't matter to my body. That's the only body before. I care about. He, I don't care what he's doing for Orlando. What's he doing for us? He played yeah, 26 anyways. games. 26 yeah, yeah. games for us, right? Do you see what I'm yeah, getting yeah. at here? Yeah, my yeah, point here yeah. is, let's get some perspective here. You can bury okay. my bulls as much as you want, talk about how great the Knicks are, but to act like, uh, you know, Vucevic and Levine are suddenly supposed to hit the ground running without any training camp or practice time, it's just, it's it's ridiculous. And, you know, the two best players on the Knicks, thank God they avoided all the COVID protocols, they played 71 and 72 games. My question for you, brother, is how many games would the Bulls have won? If Vucevic and Levine played 71 and 72 games for our beloved Bull, what say you? Well, I don't know. I would, I would like to think that'd be above 500, but um, I guess that's why, coming back to the intent of the show, not not necessarily talking and raving about the Knicks and reviewing this Bull season. Like That's why it's been somewhat of a confusing and weird season, because it's almost been three mini-seasons within the season, if you want to speak. Because like, we did, obviously didn't start the season with Vucevic. I would have preferred they went out and made an aggressive trade to bring in a player like Vooch to start the season. Obviously, that didn't happen. They they went the whole uh, development mode or evaluation mode or whatever they wanted to call it. First 30-odd games of the season, it was basically the young guys starting. That obviously didn't really work, hence a lineup change where Sato and Thad sort of entered the lineup. And then I guess that was the, the second part of the season. And then we moved into the third part of the season, which you sort of just started talking about, where we trade for Vucevic, we get Vucevic, Zach Levine gets hurt, goes out for a number of games with COVID. We don't really know how, how to how to feel about the whole thing because those guys didn't really play that much. So I guess it's been a tale of multiple seasons within the one season. So I would assume, and I'm hopeful, that coming into next season with a whole season of Vucevic and Levine, that the Bulls can hopefully do something very similar to what the Knicks are going to be doing, which is entering uh, entering the playoffs as a fifth seed and having a, leg- a legitimate chance of uh, getting into the second round. I think that's an easy 
assessment to make. And I think that'd be, uh, that's not asking the world of uh, Providence. No, I don't think so. For us to be yeah. winning 41 games. I, I, I'll step out on a limb and say that if Levine and Vucevic next year play 71 and 72 games like, uh, you know, R.J. Barrett and Randall did for the Knicks, I think we'll win about 10 more games. Uh, in fact, I think we'll win more than that, you know, assuming that the, the tourist does the right thing and brings in a, a guy who can play the three and, and hopefully the point guard position to some degree. I mean, just come on. It's like it's insanity. The team, according to my back in napkin math, had 14 games with Vucevic and Levine together. I think they were 6-8 and eight in those games. I'm not entirely certain if that's accurate, but I think it is. So they were just right around 500 without any preseason you know without any practice time together this was one screwed up year so mm-hmm. i think we all got lost i mean just the the airwaves today were just ridiculous with negativity just bashing on the bulls and and i was upset i gotta admit yesterday like i was fine with the team as long as there was a mathematical chance for them not to you know to make the playoffs and and you know i was fine with them not tanking but what the heck was dad young doing playing yesterday like what what is wrong with yeah. this? Are you kidding me? I mean, it's yeah. insanity that they were doing that. So that that kind of irritated me. But you know, big picture, I still I'm going to remain positive. I think I, I, I take solace in the fact that our tourists signed uh, Garrett Temple, and I know a lot of people out there are kind of laughing with signed Garrett Temple. He understood what we needed. We needed another three, and I think he was probably our own legitimate three, real true three on the roster. So, you know, I understand if, if you know, in retrospect, that if he saw it, I'm sure he sees it now. He's not finished with moves. I'm going to give him uh, the benefit of the doubt and hope thing, good things happen this offseason. Well, I think you raise a good point because the last two games, the Bulls were effectively eliminated from the playing chance. So they, they predictably lost to the Nets, but then they won to – uh, one against, I guess, the Bucks C team, let's call it, because the Bucks pulled their starters just before the game because the Bucks were sort of locked into that three seed. So that was frustrating, and it's a tough way to go out because, you know, it has been a long, weird, disappointing season. But then to win that game where the Bulls are now tied for eighth in the, the tankathon racing or uh, ratings, let's say, or standings, where New Orleans, Sacramento, and Chicago all have, I guess, the eighth the eighth spot, let's call it. I was going to say the eighth seed, but the eighth spot right now in terms of the draft lottery, they'll have to flip a coin to, to see who picks eight, nine, and 10. And I don't know if that was a loss. The Bulls would have been in eighth. They would have had a, a firm chance at, you know, 20% in terms of getting back into that top four, which we all, every Bulls fan can agree. Like we'd rather have the top uh, top four pick than not. So right. uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be tough on the, the draft lottery that the Bulls, you know, maybe they fall to 10th and maybe even lessen their chances of getting in the top four, even if they keep that number eight pick and don't get back in the top four. It's it's going to make things tough. And you touched on it there, the off-season. And I guess whilst we want to review this season, talk about the season that sort of just played out, like ultimately this season that we've just sort of watched is going to be determined a lot by, or I guess the success of this season will be determined a lot by what happens in the coming months. Obviously, we just spoke about the draft lottery, the draft itself, assuming the Bulls are even in it. And then coming into free agency because yeah their big swing was Vucevic they're probably not going to be in the draft I'm I'm assuming they're not going to get a top four pick hopefully that's not the case but I'm assuming that won't be the case but you know what 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 do we look at from here what what is the outlook for this team going forward I mean what should they do in free agency is is this all going to come down to keeping our pick and whether we make that pick or not whether we trade it for an uh, established player whatever the situation may be like are we all just now hinging on the draft lottery, which I believe is on June 22? Is is that like the next major milestone for this team as to 
well, I guess where this franchise may or may not be heading. Yeah. I mean, if they end up with a top four pick, the city's going to go nuts. And yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Like That's a huge day in the history of this franchise. It's not like the odds are going to be astronomical. I mean, they're not great, but crazier things have happened. I mean, getting Derrick Rose was more difficult than getting, you know, a top four pick in this draft. And if they get a top mm-hmm. four, four pick, there's five fantastic players. You know, my dream scenario is they get in the top four and we somehow end up with Suggs and immediately you got a point guard who's going to be there for the next, you know, 15 years. So I, I think that guy's already ready to play. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Any of those top four players are fantastic. You know, Cunningham would be incredible. It doesn't matter who who you're getting. Uh, but I really love Suggs. I think he brings a lot defensively too. That would be perfect for this team. And as a point guard, I think you can just put him right there and let's see what happens. You know, let's go crazy Chicago. But regardless, I'm acting like it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then let's just assume it's not. And then you have to figure out you know, what to do this offseason. You know, there's a lot of free agents out there, restricted free agents, John Collins, Mike Conley, you know, um, DeMar DeRozan. I can go up and down the list, but there's some names near the that I think aren't talked about as much that are kind of interesting. Um, you know, like uh, one of them we were talking about, like, you know, Gary Trent Jr., a guy like that, Norman Powell. Um, Lonzo Ball, obviously, is a restricted free agent, but I think he's going to cost too much. Um, you know, I don't know. What, what do you think? Is there anybody out there that really that you saw that you were kind of like, hey, this might be a good fit for us in the free agent market? Just to, the problem is it's going to be very difficult for us to, to without renouncing Thad Young or some players that are very important, for, I think, for even next year for, to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about this on your podcast with Doug on the, on the Big Red Bus as to, you know, whether the Bulls should be an above-the-cap team or a below-the-cap team, obviously depending on that decision, which is not entirely their decision. Uh, like, that will determine what they can or can't do in free agency. So, yeah, to get to a reasonable cap number, then they have to probably say goodbye to Daniel Tyrus. They have to say goodbye to Larry Markkinen. They may or may not have to say goodbye to Thad Young or Sato, depending how much money they need. So in, in, in a cap space example, then Lonzo Ball is the obvious name, but uh, that, that should come at a cost or a, a relevant cap to that cost, let's say. I, I don't want to be necessarily paying him anything more than $20 million, but who knows what he'll command in free agency. Maybe he'll get more from the Knicks and maybe he'll go to New York. And at that point, then I don't know what the, the, the next move is because you probably don't have enough space for someone like Kyle, Kyle Lowry or Mike Conley. I don't really think there's that many other good names out there. The rest of the list is basically just role guys. Um, you mentioned DeMar DeRozan. Like he, he's been good for the Spurs, but he's essentially a power forward now. I don't know if he necessarily fits. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but is he worth it? Probably not for me, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's going to be a tough situation because you, you, would have, you would have hoped this would have been a stronger free agency class, but it's unfortunately not. So... I'm sort of still leaning to being an above the cap team, hopefully signing and trading Lowry and, you know, you can sort of maybe get a guard that way, whether it's Lonzo or whether it's Devontae Graham, where it's someone completely different. I don't know. But um, yeah, obviously there's so many permutations to how this thing may play out, which is going to make it fascinating. But it all starts with, I guess, what do you do with Lowry marketing and the decisions thereafter? Because if you keep him, if you re-sign him, obviously that changes everything. And um you may not even, be, or you won't be a cap space team in that situation. So, I guess we can start there. What, what, what have you made about Larry this season? What should be your, what would be your decision about Larry this season? I kind of know where you're going to be heading with this one, given so that we've sort of uh, loosely touched on it in the past. I don't know if your opinions change, but 
this was make or break for Larry this season as a ball. To me, in my mind, it's been a, more of a break than a make. But uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, when you look at the numbers, though, he didn't really have a bad year. You know, like, I mean, shooting 40% yeah, from three-point, yeah. I mean, from, from three-point range, I, I thought, you know, 48%, those are both career highs. To me, that's where Laurie's value is really, that's where it's centered on. How well does he hit the three-point shot? All good things from Laurie Markkinen kind of flow from that ability, and that's by far his career career best. If you're hitting 40 or above in the NBA, you're a good shooter, a very good shooter, and for a big man, that's elite. And, you know, I, I kind of feel, I feel a little as this season's gone on, you know, there were certain points where the army was against me and I really wanted to see him go. And I just thought he was, you know, there's so many things he doesn't do well, especially in the defensive end. They're just so beyond frustrating. But also, though, as this, I thought he finished pretty strong this year. I thought he played pretty well the last couple of weeks. And he shot over, like I said, he shot over 40% from three. It's kind of like he's an asset. Like there are teams that are absolutely going to want him. And I don't really feel great about letting a guy like that, an asset like that, walk out the door. If he's going to leave the Bulls, I hope they can do it in a sign-and-trade. There's a lot of interesting restricted free agents out there, names that maybe you're not going to get Lonzo Ball for 21 or 22, 23 million, but like a name like Devontae Graham from Charlotte is a name that I, I would would potentially like to acquire who's an restricted free, restricted free agent. I don't see there's a lot of room for him in Charlotte. You know, just – Think out of the box a little bit, but I I do kind of feel like he's Laurie Markin is going to be one of these guys who at the age of 23 is going to leave the Bulls and just play considerably considerably better, and we're all going to wonder you know why it, why it didn't work here, like it did with Tony Snell, like it did with you know campaign like it did with Doug McDermott. He's just going to be another one in the long line of those players. Are you not all not at all concerned about that? You don't foresee that happening. I foresee a situation where if Lowry finds himself in the right situation where he's just a role player, he's playing next to guys that can set him up, that he could maybe be more effective in that specific role like like campaign has been or whoever it may be. Like Charlotte. But at, yeah, maybe, maybe Charlotte. But, I mean, does he even start for Charlotte? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's if that's true or not. I, that, they like to play smaller. I don't know if they would start him at power forward. But... I don't know. Like, I, I probably, I, not probably, I won't be missing Larry Markkinen. Let me put it that way. I think there's a good chance that he goes on and has a good, productive NBA career. But the fact is, he didn't really improve through his, throughout his four years here in Chicago. So, I don't think we're talking about a high level prospect who has star potential. I don't think that's possible anymore. Um, I, to me, he's just a role player. If you ask him to be anything more than a, a third option, it's probably going to be more. It's probably going to be problematic, as we've sort of seen. He's too inconsistent. Yeah, he shot forty percent from three, but he doesn't shoot the way that um, you know he doesn't run off screens or curl off screens the way Davis Batans does and catch on or shoot and catch off the move sort of thing. He's, he's more just a standstill shooter. Yes, forty percent is nice, but like I don't know. I just think he's completely replaceable. Uh, I, in my I, I think you're. I think it's a. It's. I think it's a little. A big stretch. Just assume that he's capped out at, at the age of twenty three. He's not necessarily capped out, but how much more? How much better is he going to be? Really? Like, I mean, if he's at forty percent, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he. I think he can get considerably better off the dribble, tacking the rim, mm. and in the post. And not only that, that's where I, I. I thought I started to see improvement this year. Is taking advantage of smaller guys in the post. I thought this was his best year by far, especially as the season wore on. Taking advantage of those matchups and being more aggressive in the post, uh, when he when he did get that in the switch, and the Bulls 
were never good, ever good at recognizing those mismatches. And that's partly on him too. But I could also see him eventually like going to the Spurs, really developing a fantastic post game and becoming a matchup nightmare, taking bigs out to the three-point line. And then during those pick-and-roll switches, being able to take advantage of a small guy. I could see him becoming a really good player. I don't think it's out of stretch by any means. Is he going to be somebody we're going to regret for a long time? Probably not. But, um, yeah, I, I, I could see him, like I mentioned, in a long line of those other players of being better. So I am a little bit more kind of torn on this right now. If the dollar is small enough, I'd match it because I still think he's an asset you can absolutely trade at the age of 23. So if somebody's going to offer him $12 million per year, I'd match it. I'd play over the cap, sign all these guys, and, and just that's a piece you can move. And uh, I don't think I'm alone in that assertion. I think Doug would probably agree with me, too. Don't you? Like, if it's $12 million period, you're just going to let him walk. $12 million a year, you're going to let him walk? Sign with another team when that's an asset that you're, you're not going to get back? You're going to play the Celtics game? Well, it depends what it depends what else you can do with that money. If you, if you let him walk and you open up space, you open up 20-odd million in space, and you can bring in a player that's better than Larry, then I would let him walk. That, that's something I would do. So it, it just comes down to that opportunity cost calculation. You know, do you either keep Larry at twelve million, or do you let him walk and open up that space to to do something else with it? So it's kind of hard to ask the answer that question because it's it's so variable to dependent. But based on what I know now, and the fact that if he came back, he'd be coming back as a as a bench player, and he would be the fourth best big, assuming you bring back Thad Young and Daniel Tice as well. Not to not to not to mention as well that we both agree that Patrick Williams is a power forward too. Like. Agreed. There's just not a need for him, I guess, is my point. So you would really have to come back at a number that really does make sense for the Bulls, that is favorable for the Bulls to carry him on the roster and sort of uh, divert your plans away from something else to, to keep Larry around for however long it may be to, to use him as a trade piece, whether it's six months, 12 months, maybe longer, who the hell knows. But I don't, I don't know. Like I would, I'd be preferred to just move him along and I just think he's going to be a, a role player and in a lot of situations he will find himself in. I think he'll be coming off the bench anyway for a lot of teams. I mean, you mentioned the Spurs there. Like, does Lowry even start for the Spurs? I don't think so. Well, I guess the bigger question is if you had a choice between Daniel Tice at the age of 28 and Larry Markin at the age of 23, who are you keeping? And I think the vast majority of Bulls fans would say Tice. I'm not so sure on that. There's a lot of things that Tice is clearly, you know, exponentially better defensively. I just think that Larry Markkinen's offensive skills are harder to find in a big man than it is to find a, a good defensive four or five. And that's just a fact. It's priced out as much. Everybody thinks like Tice can shoot. He's not a good three-point shooter. He's not even in the same realm as Larry Markkinen as a three-point shooter. He shot 28% for the Bulls. His career is 33.5. That's not good. I don't think I got frustrated with him taking too many threes this year. He's not a great free throw shooter, Um, you know, 73% for his career. You know, he's a great defensive player, great rebounder. I love the toughness he brings. But, like, I think it's a little overstated how important it is to bring Daniel Tice back. To me, you're going forward, the two guys you need, you need to have uh, Patrick Williams starting at the four. If they bring Laurie back, I think you can get away with having – um, uh, Williams at the three and hoping they could still improve there, maybe get a little quicker, maybe, you know, remodel his body a little bit to be a little more sleek and less four. And then also have Vucevic at the five. I guess that's not going to work either. I mean, it's just, it's a bad fit with Vucevic. That's the problem. 
Yeah, the, the the minute they traded for Vucevic, it was it was it was the end for marketing in my eyes. And it, it was probably trending that anyway. But the minute you get you bring in a guy who is basically the actualized peak version of of anything we could have hoped for Lowry, uh, then uh, yeah, it's time to move on, I guess. So with that in mind, let's move on to Zach Levine, I guess, because he probably was the story of the season. I mean, the trade itself was the biggest. Uh, probably the most dramatic element of this season, but we kind of almost forgotten that Zach Levine just had a near historic season, basically putting up almost a, a 50-40-90 season, just a couple percentage points shy from a, from the free throw line, 27.5 points. An all-star this season took his game to the next level in various aspects, whether it was his own offensive game, his playmaking, his, even his defense stepped up a bit. Zach continued to improve to the point where he pretty much is a top 30 player at this point, a top 25 player, whatever whatever you have him. He's one of the better players in the NBA this uh, now, I guess, and that's not something we would have said before. He's a, a legitimate top 30 guy. So uh, let, let's talk about Zach Levine, his season, what's next, for, what's next for Zach and how he can continue to build, how the Bulls can, can t- continue to build around Zach. And Zach is very interesting as well because... You know, we can talk about Larry Markin's future, his free agency, what what to do with his next deal. But uh, Zach Levine's next deal is is going to be um, probably one of the biggest talking points of this offseason as well, given that they do have the ability to uh, renegotiate and extend him to a max contract this offseason. I doubt it happens, but it's possible. But what have you made about Zach Levine this season? Review his season for me, Frederick. How do you think he performed? I think it was arguably the... Uh, st- second or third best season of for Chicago Bull since I, th- I think it, you, you could make the argument it was the second best season since Derrick Rose's MVP. I think it's right up there with anything Jimmy Butler ever produced <laughs> offensively. I mean, it was just phenomenal. What do you mean? What do you, like, I, mean nah. I don't want to go down. I don't want to go down that road, but offensively it was, it was clearly as good as anything we've had since Derrick Rose's MVP year. Yeah, just an incredible year, incredible year. And uh, I know everybody likes to talk about his turnovers. Like, yeah, great players are going to have a lot of turnovers. Russell Westbrook, Dantich, Young, Harden, LeBron James, Wall, all those guys average more turn, per, turnovers than Zach Levine. He's got high usage. He handles the ball a lot. He's going to make mistakes. That's not to, uh, uh, to say that he needs to cut that down. But uh, you know what really impressed me, Mark, is his ability to get to the free throw line. That's one area where this team really struggles. He's the only guy that can do that. Average over five attempts a game, uh, continuing to get better. He's just gotten better every year. Uh, and in every aspect of his game, I think now defensively he's, you know, average, which is significantly better from where he was. So I can't say enough good stuff about Zach Levine. And all these people had this pipe dream that he's going to take less money to become, come here for the long term. I think today's comments in the press conference indicated that he won't do that, and yeah. he shouldn't. I don't understand no. why, why why we should expect him to take a discount to stay here in Chicago. For what? We haven't gone anywhere. We haven't done anything. Team yeah. around him pretty much still sucks. Like, what? what you know, it's – he doesn't owe us anything. He, no. he he can go if he wants to win, and that's that's my biggest frustration with this season is that if I'm Zach Levine, I would leave all my options open. I would play out next year, and then if we don't make the playoffs again, and it, I, I don't see any reason why he would have to say, "Hey, I'm, I'm definitely going to commit myself to Chicago." Um, you know, I think it's 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 on us, and, and not us, but the free front office yeah, and yeah. the team around him to make. To, to raise their uh, game to the level of Zach Levine. Completely 100% agree, which is odd to say, but the leverage is all entirely his right now. And that wasn't necessarily the case previously, but the fact that he's become what he has become 
and the, and has consistently improved has been, I guess, the lone driving force over the last four years to to make that Butler trade somewhat respectable. Let's say uh, he does have all the leverage at this point. Like if he gets better again next season, he's going into next season as an unrestricted free agent, and like you say. Maybe the Bulls don't improve. Maybe they don't make the playoffs. Like let's just assume that's that happens again, or maybe they make the plane but don't make the playoffs. Then that's a pretty tough position for the Bulls to be in. And if I was Zach Levine, I would certainly be looking around because there'll be other teams out there that are more than happy to pay him the max. And if the Bulls come to him and say, "Oh, by the way, we don't necessarily want to give you the max. We we want to have a little bit more dollars to keep uh to, to keep around so we can sign a few role players here or there." I mean, it's just ridiculous to, to to think about. And your recent uh, podcast, a uh, podcast guest who won't be named, seems to be driving <laughs> this uh, bandwagon of the fact that Zach needs to be coming back on on a significantly less deal or significantly less than a, a max deal. And he had a, some you know shitty post up on the the Sun Times web website today about how he should. Um, you know, come back for the standard extension, but miscategorize that as a max extension wasn't when it wasn't a max extension. The guy just doesn't understand the cap at all. And he's, he's just leading the driving force among meatheads that want to see Zach Levine walk for a number that's just fictitious and no player of Zach Levine's stature would ever sign. So I can see the narrative where this is going. If he doesn't sort of come back with an extension this off season, he enters next season as an unrestricted free agent. When he's clearly going to be worth a max deal, I can see where this is heading, headed, and there'll certainly be segments of this fan base that want to see Levine gone, that will run him out of town, and I just don't understand it sometimes with this stupid franchise. Well, not the franchise, but the fan base. Like again, it's not all the fans, but we ran Jimmy out, of, Jimmy Butler out of town, or at least certain people didn't want him back. We're going to do the same now with Zach Levine. I just don't understand what these people want. Like well, you've got a star play here. Like what, what the hell do you people want? Yeah, and I, the thing about it is it's just not a star player that um, is, uh, you know, 32, 33. He's 26 years yeah. old. Like, if he's going yeah. into his prime, he's going to have at least three more good years. The thing about Levine, too, that I don't think is talked about enough is how good of a shooter he is and how, how much pressure that puts on a defense. I, as a former player and as a coach of a team right now, I can't tell you how much <laughs> easier it is. Let's talk a little sixth-grade basketball. How much easier it is to beat teams that can't shoot. This guy's got – you know, distance out to 35 feet. And it just puts so much pressure on the defense and extends it so far out that he's top 20 in the league, Mark. You know, he's he's 20th in the league as a three-point shooter right behind Steph Curry in terms of per- percentage. Steph shot at 42.1 and, and Zach shot at 41.9, often being doubled. These aren't like wide-open Ryan Archidiakano threes. These are oh, you you know, two guys. Oh, you said his last on, name. Yeah. You said his last I, name. I can't believe it. I think I'll do it after Whoa. his career is over. I did Jeez. after his career is over. I got a little quiz for you, though, my friend can you name the two former bulls who are a top 10 in three-point percentage uh to finish this season no 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 former top 10 levine Levine is number 20 two former bulls are in the top 10 finished top 10 this year one was number three at 47.1 percent and the other was number 10 at 44 percent can you name these former bulls did, did Tony Snell not qualify because of attempts? Tony Snell or did not qualify because of attempts. That's correct. Yeah, right. But he shot over fifty percent. Insane. Uh, I'm, ass- Insane. I'm assuming Doug McDermott was on. No, I'll, I'll tell you, yeah. it's your your old favorite Bobby Portis shot forty seven point one percent from wow. three for for wow. Milwaukee and good old campaign forty four percent. Isn't that hilarious? Great quiz. 
Yeah. <laughs> we could we could end the show on that high note now if you want. But no, I mean, no, is no, that amazing? Not. Is that amazing when you think about how those guys finished? Uh, yeah, they would they really. couldn't do anything. <laughs> right, I'm not amazed at all. Next topic. I don't want to go on a massive rant about Lavinia because I'm sure this is something we'll be talking about over the next coming months as we try to fill airtime here on the podcast because who the hell knows what else we'll be talking about. But the Levine situation is going to be something that's, that bubbles away for a, not only this offseason, but maybe even next offseason too. I just want to ask you, though, like, what do you want them to do? Do you want them to use cap space to sign them to a long-term deal, or which I don't? What do you want them to do? Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily want them to do that. I know there's a risk involved with that, which we sort of talked about before. And if you're bad again, you haven't re-signed him, you enter into next season where he's an unrestricted free agent, then maybe he gets wandering eyes. But at the same time... If you believe in your ability to retain players, to want to convince players to stay in Chicago, then you know an aggressive franchise should be looking at using that space to put talent around him, which will help convince him to stay. Agreed. And then you just pay him his five-year max at that point. Like That's what I'd be trying to do. Yes, there's potentially more risk involved in that, but I guess I just don't like the situation where you create cap space, you need $14 million in space. If you do that, you can't really add anyone to the roster. So we'd be essentially bringing back the same team and we've kind of seen what this iteration of team would, would be to a degree. So I don't know. Yes, you keep Zach in that instance, but you don't really have a lot of flexibility to add beyond. You'd, you'd have to wait like one or two seasons to really add to the team. And I, I don't really want to wait anymore, I guess. I want to start winning now. And I think that's the best way to try to convince him and not only just him, but even Vucevic as well or future players. Like let's show to the league that we're out here and, and trying to make a swing and trying to bring in players and trying to, like we talk, talked about before, trying to get this team back to where the Knicks are right now. Like the Knicks are the talk of the town. Well, not not, not the town in terms of Chicago, but like the, just the general nar- narrative amongst NBA fans, especially yeah, going to the playoffs. Yeah, enjoy it for a few more, few more days. They won't be uh, after that. <laughs> Can we make but, a bet? Can we make a bet? Yeah, I'd love to. Let's, let's do if it. The, what do if, you want to bet? If, if the Knicks make the second round, what, what, are we, what are we, what's the bet? Oh, boy. So, out of all the teams that I wanted the Knicks to play, the last one would have been the Hawks because that's a team I think is their yeah. their best. They've got a good chance. The, yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, like if they were playing the Heat or anyone else, they would have got slaughtered. Um, I don't know. I already lost this other bet. I got to figure out how to play this stupid song now. So I, I don't know. Maybe not. Let's not have a bet for now. I just want to pry. Maybe I'll think of something offline. Maybe you can have some of the listeners shoot some ideas over. Maybe I'll learn another Pink Point Floyd song and I'll sing it over. Uh, yeah. On the show. Well, you did. You did lose our season-long bet for this season. I think you had them at. Th- the bet was that the Bulls win 34 or, or more games this season. Obviously, they didn't do that. They came close, but they didn't do that. And then. The terms of that bet is because you lost, you had to learn, sing, and play Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here, recorded on video and posted on the Twitter timeline. So that's that's <laughs> kind of what you're working on right now. Yeah, correct? I'm working on it right now. Exactly. I'll have it done by the uh, lottery. 622, I think, is that date. So. All right. All right. You, you said it here now. That's yeah. basically a month. You've, you've got a month to, to work it out and, and get it sorted. So um, I'm holding you to that. But uh, I look forward to that. It's pretty easy. But uh, <laughs> it's a great song. Amateur Wouldn't you agree, band. Frederick? Amateur, it sucked. <laughs> uh, I did want to ask, though. I had a, uh, What was the question I was just about ready to ask you? Yeah, like I think let's go back to what you were saying about Levine because it, yeah. it is of the utmost importance. Yeah, you, you got to use every single dollar of cap space right now to make this team better, to find yeah. another three, find another point guard. And yeah. then at the trade deadline next year, 
you'll have a better idea where we're at. Like, I think the Bulls are going to mm-hmm. be significantly better. And then you'll you'll go to Zach and say, listen, we'll, we'll make it right by you. We're going to give you a max deal. And I don't think he'll leave then at that point, right? We just got to make the playoffs next year. The, the worst case scenario, we start out next year and we somehow have an injury to a key player and we were, you know, out of the play in, in a similar, I think in a similar situ- situation that we're in right now, we're like 10, 11, still struggling. I mean, at that point, you might even have to look at trading, you know, him if he's not going to be willing to give a commitment. Because from if I was Zach Levine, I wouldn't give a commitment to the Bulls at the trade deadline if you're still struggling for a playoff, uh, you know, playoff spot, you know. So it's a tough, it's a tough discussion. It's a tough, you know, it's a tough decision, but. I think you're right. I think I'm right. And I think that's what they'll probably do. Yeah. And look, a, a big part of convincing him as well to stay will be the, you know, the, the chemistry that he continues to form with Nikola Vucevic. I think those two do fit perfectly well on offense. I think Levine and Vuce, along with Kobe, have sort of found a way to exist on offense. But it's kind of going to be interesting to see if guys like Vucevic, Kobe, and Patrick Williams help entice Zach to stay, let's say. So let, let's talk about Williams. Let's talk about Kobe White. We, we well, kind of already more, know what Vucevic is. One more really quick statement. It, it's not even worth talking about the Bulls uh, taking Thad Young's option. Like, I keep on seeing it everywhere. No, it, you, you keep it's it. It's such a ridiculous assertion. If your goal is to keep Zach Levine, you're not letting – you're not doing a buyout with, with – uh, you're not taking the option to, you know, buy him out for $6 million. It's so dumb. So let's just stop that conversation. Yeah, look, again, I, I agree in principle, but if they can do something amazing with that space, maybe that changes it. But yes, I, I agree with you in principle, but I think what will definitely keep Zach around long-term and maybe will help propel this team up to where the Knicks and Hawks are right now, which is the fourth and fifth seed, a legitimate chance of getting to that second round, something the Bulls haven't experienced in a long time, is the development of guys like Patrick Williams and Kobe White. So let's talk about both of those guys. Obviously, you know, I don't think we disagree too much about Kobe White. Maybe we just get lost in the uh, the anger anger of it all. But what were your thoughts about Kobe's season? What did you think about Patrick Williams in this season, and how those both, or how both of those guys project going forward around Vucevic and Levine? I well, I, I mean, I thought Kobe was had the most unfair criticism. I think he was put in the most difficult position of any player in his team to start the season as a twenty year old to be expected just to come in and thrive in the point guard position is just insanity. It's a difficult position. You see great players like Mike Conley. Go back to Mike Conley and look at his second year, how much he struggled. You know, I think it's more, it's pretty rare for a guy to walk in like LaMelo Ball did and, and really just thrive in the point guard position. Even he struggled at certain times, especially down the stretch after his injury. So Kobe White, to me, I, I'm not at all worried about him. He's got an excellent work ethic. I think he got better. I thought his facilitating this year was exponentially better. And I, I don't think it was talked about enough. I thought he really passed the ball pretty well at certain times. Now, yeah, he's not a natural point guard, but I think you can get away, uh, you can get along fine with Kobe White in the backcourt with Zach Levine if, if you have an elite three defensively and an elite four defensively. That's the problem with the structure of the team is you got Vooch and Zach who aren't killers on the defensive end, and Kobe isn't either, although he tries very hard. You really need to have elite players at the three and four. And I think Patrick can develop into that. I'm really, I, I I'm excited about Patrick's future. I, I I think because people you know are always pointing out, look at this guy always showing these videos on him. It's just it's <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm showing videos because I'm trying to tell him or 
anyone else is watching these games, is anyone else noticing this? Let's not all act like this is good because he's he's not he's not good right now on the defensive end in terms of just sound fundamentals of boxing out players. I'm just pointing this out. I'm not trying to criticize him. Don't act like a child and think that like you know like I'm saying I don't love you. I do love all everybody. Pat and I do love Patrick Williams. This got really weird really quickly. But uh <laughs> I he's just I, I was kinda disappointed and I heard you say this too. I was disappointed with his play down the stretch. I thought other players, yeah. other rookies got better and I just highlighted I don't think he played better down the stretch. No, um he was now, worse. Yes. He was he worse. Was. Let's 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 be honest. Let's be honest. I mean, I was a big Patrick Williams guy for the first half of the season. I mean, and that's a comment made in reality in terms of based on what he produced in real time, that isn't a comment based on what he may or may not be, something people have a lot of difficulty discerning between the two. But if we're being real, Patrick Williams over the first 30-odd games versus the Patrick Williams we saw in the second half of the season was disappointing. He regressed as a player. I was expecting him to... Or if he didn't regress, he stayed stagnant, let's say, at best. And I was expecting him to add one or two little pieces to his game. I wasn't necessarily expecting him to come out and dominate or show more of these Kawhi-like flashes, let's say, that everyone tries to talk themselves into. But I was expecting to see a little bit more, but uh, we didn't. So, um, in that sense, I got to hand it to you. I think it takes a lot of guts in your part to just say that. It really does because now the entire and now the entire army is going to be coming after you. I mean, you don't you don't sense this. Anytime I make a comment of just like a, a criticism, everybody jumps on me. You hate Patrick Williams. I don't hate Patrick Williams. Like I. The thing is, too, is like these things that I was pointing out, I have no doubt that, that Billy pointed out the same thing and the coaching staff pointed out the same thing because you saw it in the last four or five games. They even talked about it, how much better he was at attacking the offensive boards. He just wasn't doing that. He wasn't aggressive. He didn't play with a high motor for a large portion of the season. He was just out there. And there were so many, there was far too many times he was given 27 minutes a game as a rookie. This was a great opportunity for him. And instead, a lot of the fan base was just like, oh, you know, he's out there 27 minutes as a 19 year old. Yeah, 27 minutes as a 19 year old. Go out and grab it and do something with it. Just don't jog up and down the court. Like, I, I felt like I, I really was not happy at all until the last few games. Obviously, you should be ecstatic, and you see... And then you see the stuff he says, right, too? But I also do want to say, there's some things that he says, like, he shouldn't say. <laughs> like, I'm like, why are you saying this? Like, he's, uh, I'm not naturally aggressive. The scoring was never part of my game. I'm just like, dude, you're the fourth overall pick. Scoring better become a part of your game, and even if you're thinking that, don't say it. My God. What oh, score- look, I, I appreciate that he says it, but at the same time, I can appreciate that he says it whilst being concerned that, you know... A lot of the times, you know, hearing players trying to force them to be something that they're not, like I'm always I'm always questionable about, about whether they can naturally get there. Like that's how I felt about Kobe White. Like he's not a natural creator, let's say, and then trying to develop him or forcing him into being one may not necessarily work. And I kind of feel like that with Patrick Williams as well. Like if he's not necessarily an alpha, someone that wants to go out there and own possessions, score on possessions and be the lead guy, let's say, which is kind of what the Bulls will need him to develop, uh, to develop into some sort of facsimile of that if they can't necessarily acquire like a third star in free agency or via trade. Like they're going to need Patrick Williams to develop into the player that AK hopes he can be. But uh, yeah, I, I guess I appreciate the fact that he's candid in that sense, but at the same time, a little bit concerned that 
he has to almost be forced or pushed into being that guy. And whenever you're forced to push someone into being something that they're not, you get mixed results, I guess. As we saw, like the last game of the season, like how does Patrick Williams only get eight shots against that Bucks team, whereas the night before he had 24 against the Nets? I, I, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I know all you want. All I wanted to do is him just come out, even like 16, 18 points. You just come out with that yeah. kind of. And yeah. it, you know, it's, I can't tell if he's really saying this or if some people are just like in his ear telling him to say it. You know, like I have all the talent in the world. Like his his comments today just seem so out of. It just like out of turn, what's the word I'm trying to say? It just didn't seem like they were coming from him, just based on his comments throughout the season. Although I will say I loved them, right? That's what you. That's what I wanted to hear. That's what I. You got to believe. I just hope he believes it, and he and he does because I I've just seen so many players just you know who have all the talent in the world. They just don't. They're not able to to have that um the ability or aggressiveness internal want to 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 take it. That's my yeah. biggest concern. I always said this, sixth grade on, you know, the greatest players, you know they're out there. They're they're impacting the game in some way, form or fashion. And there's just too many times where I didn't even know he was playing the game this year. So, But yeah. he's so important. It's Everything is dependent on this guy, right? He takes a jump next yep. year. We're going to be mm-hmm. a significantly better team, you know. So I'm cheering for him. The kid's a great kid. So we'll see what 100% happens. 100% agree. I mean, it, it, it may seem hyperbole or hyperbolic, let's say, to say this. Um, but the the fate of the franchise over the next sort of five to ten years sort of rests on Patrick Williams' shoulders. In extension to that, as does whether they keep this pick or not. Like if 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 they keep this number four pick, whether they use that pick or trade that pick, and whether you know or whatever Patrick Williams develops into, like if you get both of those things to happen, and you happen the, the best case of those scenarios happen, like the. The, the trajectory of the, I guess, this, the franchise just more generally throughout this Levine era, the Vucevic era, whatever we want to describe it as, like, it just changes completely if this guy can sort of reach another level, if we get that pick, these sorts of things. That's why what's coming up over the next couple of months is so important, not only for next season, but like where Zach Levine's prime is headed through Chicago. Like, is it going to be where we're talking about this team being at on the Hawks or Knicks level, where maybe on a, on a good season you can sort of you can sort of talk yourself into, you know, maybe depending on the matchup you can get into the second round, or is there a higher a higher variables there or more variables where you can sort of push yourself to a higher bracket where you could be uh, top one, two, three, maybe fourth. Uh, fourth team in the East and maybe that really changes the franchise. So yeah, a lot does hinge on Patrick Williams and uh, I don't think we're being uh, overzealous in that. I think where you and I uh, are different or in our, in our opinions, have a difference of opinions is that uh, I think you would probably think the, the comment you just said, everything depends on him. I don't necessarily believe that. Like I think Kobe white has a significantly higher, higher ceiling than you do. If you look at every stat that Kobe White had from three-point percentage to free throw percentage to, uh, you know, effect, every stat, points per game, um, every significant one, especially assists, which he almost doubled, he was better this year as a 20- and 21-year-old. So where is Kobe White going to be as a 23- or 24-year-old? I think it's he's got the potential to be significantly better than you do this year, you know, just a few percentage points higher. But with his work ethic, and I, I just I, I think he's got a much higher ceiling than you do, so that's where we differ. Well, let's talk about Kobe because it is one of those interesting topics, at least for me it is, because the way you feel about Patrick Williams or the way you get uh, assaulted, let's say, with your mentions on Twitter about people coming after you when you mentioned the flaws of someone like Patrick Williams – 
that's kind of how I exactly feel about Kobe White and the sort of the, the blowback that I receive. So it is kind of ironic that um, here, Frederick, that's um, and you, you're actually one of the the main culprits in terms of blowing up my <laughs> mentions in terms of the <laughs> Kobe hate that I supposedly have, whatever it may be. But look. Again, pointing out when players are bad in real time doesn't mean they're going to be staying bad for for the foreseeable future or forever. Like Kobe was bad for a lunch, a large chunk of this season for like twenty to twenty five games. He basically averaged twenty uh, ten points on really bad shooting percentages, and to the point where it wasn't just me saying he should go to the bench. It was literally freaking Billy Donovan who made the decision to bench Kobe White. So again, like. We can say players sucked in real time whilst also acknowledging the fact that they do have an ability to be a good player. Like, I, I think Kobe can be good. I, I don't think he's a, a great, going to be a great player. I think he's more likely to be a role player. I think he's still better suited for this specific team, ideally coming off the bench. That meaning, you know, you've gone out and got, got a, a real functional point guard who makes more sense next to Levine. But I still have open questions about how Kobe, Levine, and Vucevic sort of work together. But at, at the same time, I can ha- still have all those concerns whilst acknowledging that Kobe was really good over the last field of sort of 15 to 20 games of the season. He was much better. Do you feel that Kobe White had a better rookie year than Patrick Williams? <sighs> oh probably. Yeah, probably. Probably. There's no question he did. He averaged well, 24 points his last nine games. He had nine games in a row in a, in a season shortened by COVID where he averaged 24 points. What was Patrick Williams' season high? Like, 24 points? Yeah, but... You, yes, you can do that. You don't, you don't grade them on points per game because their games are completely different. I would expect Kobe to have more offensive games and to have, you know, bigger scoring outputs because that's essentially all he was doing in his rookie season, just coming off the bench and throwing up shots. <laughs> Whereas Williams, that wasn't his role. So points per right, game or go. totals per game, whatever it is, like, it's irrelevant. Like, that's not how I'm grading these guys. But yes, I would say Kobe was probably better than Patrick Williams, which is somewhat concerning to me because I... I felt at least coming into this season that Patrick Williams was the highest ceiling prospect that the franchise has had in the last four to five years, let's say. But Jimmy um, Butler, yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's no there's no doubt about it that uh, Kobe White had a better rookie year. And there's no doubt about it that Patrick Williams has a higher ceiling. You're not condemning or, or ripping on either player. Yeah, I can agree Let's just to be that. honest. Just be realistic. And, and and I thought Kobe White overall this year showed enough improvement that I feel good about him. Let me just put it this way. And I guess this is the biggest question. Would you prefer that the Bulls sign Lonzo Ball for $23 million per year for four years and have Kobe come off the bench? Or would you prefer that they spend those dollars in another direction However, they d- determined to do it, maybe even four or three, etc., and have Kobe White start next to Zach Levine again to begin the year. What would you have, A or B? So, I would say I would not want Lonzo Ball at twenty-three million because I, I I just don't think that's that's feasible. It's too much. That's He's a fourth or fifth answer. best starter, and that that type of player should be getting anywhere between fifteen to twenty million dollars. So, I would ha- I would find a problem with that more generally, but. I guess part of the reason why I think Kobe was successful to close this season was he was no longer the lead creator. He was playing off of Vucevic and Levine. He found success in having more than half of his attempts from the field being from the three-point line, meaning he was utilizing his best skills. So in that sense, I'm not surprised that Kobe played much better and performed much better given that he was doing the things he was best at. 
and the things that the team weren't necessarily throwing him into the deep water with. You made a comment before that the Bulls are so much of Kobe to start the season. And again, I completely agree. Like I hated the idea of Kobe starting point guard, uh, starting at point guard because I thought it was unfair on him more generally, but also fair, unfair on the team. But if I'm, if I'm thinking about this team, the way it best fits together, the way it all comes together, and if Kobe's just more in a catch-and-shoot type role, less, less of a creating type role, then to me, I would rather have Lonzo in a vacuum because Lonzo can do that same thing whilst giving you different things elsewhere on the court, specifically on de- on defense. Now, ideally, you maybe you could have both of them in close games with a three-guard lineup. Maybe you could deal Kobe White and, and Thad Young maybe to go and get that small forward who can come in and play uh, that three position and maybe you can push Patrick Williams up the four. Like whatever the situation is, in a vacuum, I would rather Lonzo than Kobe, but it, it's going to come down to value. Like more generally, I just don't want Lonzo anything. If Lonzo is going to cost me more than $20 million, then I don't want him. I agree with you. If, like I'm more excited about Lonzo if we got Lonzo actually playing minutes at the three because I think he can play that position defensively and just have him pair him up with, I think, White, Lonzo Ball and, and Zach Levine would work. I really do. And, you know, but bigger picture, I, I think it's a little overstated that I, I read this all the time. Oh, he, we changed his role. It was all catch and shoot, you know, like acting like he's Kyle Korver out there. He's still facilitated. He's still, yeah, but not he still had a game guy. with 10 assists, for God's sake. Let's not act oh, like he, he suddenly became, he, he suddenly became, you know, Kyle Korver coming off of picks and sh- just shooting catch and shoot threes. That's, That's not, not what, what happened. Said. That's not what I said. Well, you said, I think you did. You kind of hinted at it, and that's what is the narrative, that suddenly Kobe White's role was massively different. He still was playing the point guard. It was slightly different. He was still playing the point guard position, and he played it significantly better. Let's not act like he – let's just put it this way. If if somebody told me the future, if if the scientists in North Dakota told me that, you know what, Fred, uh, Kobe White's starting at point guard next year, I would not lose sleep about it. I really wouldn't, as long as we devoted our resources to getting in a, a highly competent defensive three. And I'd like to see Patrick spend more time at the four. Yeah, look, uh, yeah, it's contingent on a lot of things. The variables determine how this will or won't perform. But uh, I would have some concerns about the Levine, Vucevic, and White pairing as a, a three-man unit. From a defensive standpoint, offensively, it, it can make complete sense. I would still prefer a little bit more playmaking on the court, but you can get by, let's say. I would, I would have concerns around the defense. And to your point, maybe that those concerns would dissipate depending on what, what the Bulls may or may not do. But until we know that, that would be an open concern that I would have. So, uh, yeah, look, Kobe was good the last 15, 20 games. He was bad like for a good 15, 20 games before that to the point where Donovan benched him. So for all of you... People in my mentions constantly uh, bagging me out about Kobe White, as you often do, Frederick. Take it up with Billy Donovan. Take it up with Billy Donovan, who agreed with me. And can I just read something out to you, Frederick? Well, really quick, though. You were the author of the Start Sada movement. You were the founder of that movement. You were the guy who who deserved to be blamed for that. I'm glad Kobe White's brother came after you for it. (laughs) Because it's ridiculous. If if this is supposed to be development year and you're not going to consider benching Patrick Williams for the way he played, then why are you benching Kobe White? It was so so dumb. But go on. Well, I mean, that's probably a directive from AK, not necessarily me, Frederick. I'm I'm sure the guy that just drafted Patrick Williams and who didn't draft Kobe White probably made that uh, 
quite clear to Billy Donovan. I'm speculating, but that would be my guess. But let me point this out to you. When Sadoransky went into the starting lineup the first time around, so the lineup of Sato, Levine, Williams, Markkinen, and Young, after they benched Kobe White and Wendell, that lineup was plus 5.6 in net rating. Pretty good. Pretty good. After they benched Markkinen, they went a little bit uh, older, let's say, that with Sato, Levine, Williams, Thad, Young, and Vucevic, they were plus 1.3 in net rating. So again, another good functional lineup that included Sadoransky in a point guard. And the reason that happened was that that original starting unit where Kobe was out there with Wendell, Lowry, Patrick Williams, Zach Levine, that unit was being outscored by 14 points. So Sadoransky at point guard was fine. He was he was fine at point guard. There's been other lineups where Sato started at point guard and they were completely fine. Yeah, like but didn't I said, that move include Laurie going to the bench too? I can't recall when it happened. I thought it was kind of very close in timing. So you're just saying it like, oh, it was Kobe going to the bench and Sato being inserted in the starting lineup. Didn't Thad enter the starting lineup right around the same time ahead of Laurie? Sato and Thad went in at the time and Kobe and Wendell came out. Yeah, well, that's on Thad. That's why things were so much better. <laughs> you're riding Thad's coattails with Sato. Oh, and you're dumb get out of here. Just <laughs> don't give true. any credit to Sato. <laughs> I, knew I, broke, I know I would break it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> the right. point is, Sato's good. Sato is no, good. He's a fine Kobe backup. finished strong. And yes. uh, yeah, they're both no. bench point guards. Let's say that. All right. Sato's, <laughs> the start Sato movement is as bad as the start Gafford movement. Yeah, 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 well, yeah. I think that's something we can agree on. The, the start Gafford movement was the stupidest, <laughs> dumbest thing that I've heard all season. So, um, But uh, I digress. Let, let's close this podcast out. We've been running long here. I mean, we've we've sort of touched on this season. To be honest with you, we've probably focused more on what's to come. But I think that's that's right. Like all the Bulls fans right now, all we're thinking about is what is to come because that's the most relevant part. Because yeah, this season was interesting. We got Vucevic in. The trade itself was fun, and I, I remember the day when he got traded here. Like that was the most fun I've had as a Bulls fan. For obviously, that didn't last very long, given how bad things went thereafter. But now we're kind of all hopeful, let's say. So we'll see what happens. But um. Yeah, this season, I, I'm kind of keen to forget about it, to be honest with you, and, and let's see what cap happens thereafter. But let's close out the show, Frederick. Um, I've had you on a number of times. You, like I said at the top, you're the most frequent guest on Bulls HQ history. Uh, and we haven't done this for a while. You used to you used to come past often and, and you know give me a story of sorts from uh, your younger days. Often I find them quite hilarious. I'm not sure if the listeners do, but I, I find them quite fun. So, um Let's let's throw to one of your stories. I've got a nice intro here that we'll run right now, but um, yeah, hit me up with the story. But first, this little cute jingle for Frederick. Gather round, children. It's time for a story from our good friend, Sea Red Fred. All right, Fred, as per the jingle, it's oh, story time boy. with Frederick. So uh, what, what have you got for me this time around? Well, this one's going to be a little blue. So, uh, if there's children or very old adults in the room, why don't you send them off on their way and lower the volume and put your ear right up to the uh, speaker so you can hear the story. So, um, and I, I can't believe this. I think this is the first time I've ever told this story outside of the four people that are aware of it, which uh, myself included, and the person that, uh, well, we'll get into it right now. So, I used to go to Vegas every year with a group of friends every summer. And one year, we'd always go in the summer. One year we went, one of my top 10 bands of all time, James Addiction, was playing at the joint at the Hard Rock Casino. Are you familiar with this? You know where this is at? 
Are you uh, the listeners? I'm sure, but you've heard of Las Vegas, right? <laughs> yes, I've heard of Las Vegas. All right, All right. so yeah. Oh my God. So, um, I was pumped about going because if I got there two and a half hours early, I could get right up to the stage and watch my favorite guitar player in the world. Still to this day, Dave Navarro, the master at work. No reserve seating. So I said I'm going to be the first in line. First in, and I would run to this, that point where Dave plays and watch him for three hours. It would make one, you know, one of the highlights of my life. So I meticulously planned out the whole day. We were going to go golfing with myself and my three other friends. They were going to drop me off two and a half hours early after golf. We'd meet after the show for a night or whatever. Yeah. The part I didn't plan out well was the golfing 18 holes in 130-degree weather, even in carts. It was difficult. So by, you know, hole 11, we're all seeing visions. Um, there weren't enough refreshments. I accidentally used SPF, like, 5 instead of 45, so I was I was literally red, melting. Very C-red. <laughs> literally C-red. About 10. So I literally sweated about 10 to 15 gallons of water that round. I mean, I was just a puddle. Afterwards... I shower, put my shorts on, still a little dizzy, put on my jeans, t-shirt, we're all parched and we're, you know, probably an in, within an inch of our lives of dying of, um, <laughs> uh, so we stopped at a Seven Eleven, right. and I get a super big gulp filled with ice in, um, Diet Pepsi. And you know what that, you know what a super big gulp is? Do you guys have that in Australia? Is that a, like a product or what it, is it? Yeah, what yes. It's, it's, it's a massive, a massive, uh, drink in a plastic right. cup. It's probably I don't know five gallons. I don't know. I have no idea how we many. We don't how do much. gallons, so uh, that, that doesn't make five sense. Five liters. To me, <laughs> five liters. Yeah, right. Okay. Continue. It's a lot of liquid. But yeah. I'm suddenly refreshed. I got it. They dropped me off. My friend who was supposed to go with me is so sick from the the that he didn't even go. He's like, I, I can't make it. So I'm like, screw you. I'm going. Watch the greatest guitar player of all time. I'm the first guy in line. First guy in line. Just me. <laughs> I got my golf towel. I brought my golf towel because after I shower, sometimes you still sweat. Do you ever have that yeah. problem? So yeah. I brought, <laughs> so it's me, a towel, and my big gulp. <laughs> Suddenly, two and a half, I'm the first guy in line. Doors open. I sprint out to the front, get right right there on this, like, it's like a, uh, it's like a metal gate, uh, you know, like a metal kind of fence. Let's, let's describe it that way. And then there's maybe like two or three, maybe four or five feet, and then the stage. So I'm right there in front of Dave Navarro. And I turn around, and there's probably all of a sudden, right behind me, 5,000 people between me and the next bathroom. Um, So, (laughs) you see, after you're drinking a a big gulp for three and a half hours, while I was waiting in line, while I was waiting for the show to start, that's a lot of of liquid, and – it, it became apparent, like, I literally was dying. Like, I had a bladder <laughs> full that I was, like, I started to feel pain. So. Um, what happened? What well, happened so, next? So, I'm going to pull off a maneuver here because I cannot oh, leave because there's no way I'm going to be able to get to the bathroom and get back to the front. It's, it's impossible. I can't do it. So, luckily, no, no band had gone on yet. I decided to kind of, like, go up against the, the fence <laughs> and... Um, Take my cup, take my cup, and slowly use the towel to cover me while I would then urinate into the cup. <laughs> but you, the cup wasn't big enough, is that my guess? <laughs> no, the cup was, no, I dare you. Cup was, uh, yeah, the cup was, yeah, big enough. It was barely, yeah, it was barely. No, I meant for enough. liquid, nothing else. Get, yeah, get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> so, anyhow, yeah, no, the cup was big enough. So I filled up this entire big 
cup with urine <laughs> and uh, with, with a towel around it. And just <laughs> as I finish, and uh, you know, nobody was noticing, everything was going fine. I zipped up my pants, and just as I zip up my pants, the opening band goes on, and there's a rush to the stage. And oh, I get God. crushed against the <laughs> the, the silver the silver uh, fence and yeah, the yeah. the uh, if anybody knows a big gulp club, uh, a cup you should try it someday with a full thing of water run into a wall with water it not see urine what right? water well yeah with water don't do it with urine <laughs> but I had the urine and the and the urine basically basically exploded from my <laughs> from my belly button down to my 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 shoes it was just soaked with urine. So anyway, so, so anyway, so you may as well just sort of piss yourself is what you're saying. <laughs> Basically, the good news is it was really wet on the outside as opposed to the inside. Doesn't matter; it's still a disaster. But nobody really noticed, right? Everything was going good. I'm like, all right, so this is bad. I got a towel. I tried to dry myself as best I could, but it was still embarrassing. But nobody really noticed besides the broken, uh, the cup there that I just threw in the in the little area there. Fast forward to Jane's Addiction. Jane's Addiction comes on. My pants are still wet. And this, there's a girl standing behind me. And she was short, probably about five feet. And she's, she kept on bothering me, like, I want to go in front of you. I can't, because I'm six <laughs> feet tall. She kept on yeah. touching me and yelling in my ear, let me sit in front of you. I can't see. I can't see. And I'm just like, please. I, I tried to yell, you know, I'm explaining. I got her early. I want to see him play. <laughs> see him play. She's like. And then she goes, if you let me go in front of you, I'll give you a, and what, whatever that is <laughs> with, with her hand, that gesture. Yeah, you, got, right, you guys yeah, can yeah. figure it out. And I was so yeah, shocked yeah, yeah. and I couldn't believe it. And she reaches around and grabs me. And I'm, I go, and then I'm like, oh, before I could even stop her. Like, I, I didn't want to stop her. I didn't want this. And she goes, ew, you're wet. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, of course, because I, so... To make a long story short, at this point, you know, I'm embarrassed. I immediately took her hand off from me. Get your hand off me. You know, I'm trying to explain this all. I, how am I supposed to explain to this woman why the band's playing that um, I pissed into a cup that exploded on me? I actually didn't pee in myself. Oh, and then man. and then, so I let her go in front of me um, anyhow because of it. I guess it was, that was probably the right thing to do since I could see over her. But um, that's the story. Well, I mean, she did physically assault you. Let's let's make that very clear. Like, it was against. Let the record show. I'm assuming it was against you. Will maybe it was. It was absolutely against my. Let the record show. Of course. Do you think I wanted to grab my urine-soaked jeans? Of course. I don't know. Maybe that's your kink. I don't don't know. How am I to know? (laughs) But I I should have cleared this story beforehand because I did not know that was where it was going. But um, how have you never told me this one? So you basically pissed yourself at a Jane's Addiction concert. First of all, uh, I did not piss myself. Well, it came close, pretty much. I crashed into a a cup full of urine that was my own making. But it was... I was literally like two seconds away from placing that cup like in that well there, and I would yeah. have been fine. But the band went on right at that time, pushed me right into the, I got pushed right into the thing, and it exploded on my pants. So that's a good story. Um, that, that was a good story. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're one of now. Uh, you're the fifth person. Well, I guess everybody's listening. This would what, how many people we got? Nine or ten? Oh, tens, hundreds <laughs> of thousands at least. <laughs> so what's the moral of the story? Number one. Always be aware of your urine um, content before a show. Right. Don't drink a big gulp or super big gulp, and don't golf eighteen holes in one hundred thirty degree weather. So, Fair uh, is that pretty good? 
I think that's, that's it's good. a good story. Uh, and to that moral of the story, maybe to, to close this podcast, I need to go to the toilet. So let, let's wrap things up because I don't <laughs> have a bead container and Boo, near me within, within hand distance to uh, be in a bloody container there. And um, yeah, I'm definitely not she's listening. Sorry? Wouldn't it be funny if she's listening to this show? She'll remember. Uh, I'm pretty confident that she's not. I and, told um, her. I, the good thing is I'm proud of myself. I said, I don't approve of that. I didn't say it like that because the band was playing, but I don't approve of that. You can go in front of me. I don't even want that. I'm very proud wow. of myself. Well, such a gentleman. I mean, a gentleman that pisses all over himself, but such a gentleman. <laughs> such a gentleman. But uh, yeah, great story, Frederick. But let's call it there because that, that almost is a a nice microcosm of this bull season almost to a degree when you think about it. Like you're, you're planning for a big, great season. You're going to this James Addiction concert, which is the equivalent of the Vucevic trade. <laughs> but then when you're there, you, yeah, you're just hoping for better days thereafter. So um, yeah, maybe yeah. looping it all back. It, it does kind of make sense. It does. Symbolic for the whole year. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Anyhow, my friend, I got to get my beauty sleep, but it was always enjoyable. And uh, yeah, I can't believe I never mentioned that story to you. That was a, that was a pretty prominent one that my friends still no, laugh at today. I know that's a good one. Well, next time I have you on, um, come prepared with uh, with another good story. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I certainly appreciated this one. But uh, one final question before I let you go: Is Denzel back next season? No. Well, I'll be back in the NBA. I have no doubts, no qualms about that. <laughs> but um, you know, I think unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought it was fitting. He was over seven in his second to last game. I, I, I mean, that really uh, did you get it over seven? Oh, I, right, I, right. I, okay, yeah, <laughs> seven pick and seven. I don't yeah, want to go through the whole prediction, yeah, right. but yeah, yeah, over seven was uh, hurtful. There you go. All right, Frederick. Well, I appreciate you coming on and stopping by, my friend. Um, if this is the last podcast I do before uh, my son arrives, then uh, it's been a memorable one. But before you go, tell the people where they can follow you online. Chicago Bulls, well, obviously the big red bus with the great one, Doug Tonus, who's doing much better. Thank you for your thoughts and prayers with his uh, unfortunate yeah. blood clot, but he's rocking and rolling, and he'll be back soon. Also, Chicago Bulls, uh, you know where to get me in on Twitter. Anybody who's listening to this show probably knows me. Uh, but hey, man, <laughs> brother, I wish you the best. It's a life-changing event, having a child. You're, I always say the center of your universe goes from you to that child and you're never the same but it's a it's a good ride it's a great ride and you're going to do great and i can't wait to meet frederick denzel <laughs> thank you for those kind words up until that the last five words that was really nice of you to say but uh, i do appreciate that but um thank you frederick we'll be speaking soon anyway over the off season i'm sure we'll be doing many more of these podcasts in fact you and i discussed maybe we could do some short mini episodes where we we we, we pick a specific topic that you and i uh, generally argue about and actually get it on record for a change, whether it's David Mwaba versus Jabari Parker, the Butler trade, how Dwayne Wade sucks, all those sorts of things. You and I will be doing some maybe some mini pods on those sorts of topics as we uh, go through the doldrums of the offseason. So uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking soon nonetheless. But uh, that was very nice of you to say, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, brother. Have a good one, Mark. And Godspeed, Bulls fans. Exactly. Yeah. And Bulls fans, whilst you're out there following Frederick, you can follow me too on Twitter at MK Hoops. Follow the podcast too at Bulls HQ Pod. If you want to uh, link to the Bulls HQ Discord through the offseason, now that we're in the offseason, shoot me a DM on Twitter and I will drop you a link to, uh, to that. You'll get an invitation to become part of the Bulls HQ Discord. Frederick is in there, supposedly never comes past, but he also is part of it. 
He's very rude and never joins us in there. But nonetheless, if you want to be part of it, just drop me a DM. You can be. As I mentioned there, I've got a child arriving fairly soon, so I don't know what my podcasting schedule will be like. But um, whenever I get a chance, whenever I'm not uh, tending to a, a crying infant and those sorts of things, then I'll try to get podcasts out. But uh, obviously, uh, we'll see how that transpires. You know where to find me on, on all the usual spots, uh, usual podcasting spots. But uh, in the in the interim, five star reviews, drop a link. Tell your friends about Bulls HQ, all that good stuff. But enough shameless plugs in this situation here. I'm done. This podcast has gone way long. I I don't even know how to think after that story, to be honest with you. But uh, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you for tuning in, Bulls fans. Thank you for sticking by Bulls HQ through this weird, stupid Bulls season. And uh, we'll have much more Bulls content coming over the next couple of months. But I appreciate everyone for tuning in. Thank you and uh, speak soon. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.